Okay, we're still in Haggai, and um, we're looking at chapter 2, verses 10 through 19 today, so you can find that in the Pew Bible on page 1441 or else uh, in your own Bible or on your device. Listen as we read God's word together. Blessings for defiled people. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give care thought, give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Here ends today's reading. Thanks, Tracy. Well, good morning, Elmwood. Great to be here with you. My name is Benjamin. I have the privilege of serving on the the elder board and a couple other places. Uh, So I've been here at Elmwood with my family for about four years since really our soft launch of the revitalization. Uh, Happy to be here with you this morning. We're in our fourth part of a five-part series on the book of Haggai. Uh, and, And just so you know, I grew up pronouncing Haggai as Haggai. So if that's how it hits you in your brain, you, you don't feel guilty at all, all right? I remember my mom doing some weird thing with her face that said, this is like the eye of a hag, Haggai. That's how she tried to like get us to remember it. It's, uh, yeah, that's, you, know, you know, mothers and trying to get her, our children to, to remember the books of the Bible. There you go. So Haggai is how I do it, but I'll try to say Haggai this morning, all right? Either way, you want to say whatever you can. It's really about what's inside this book, uh, and uh, I'm happy to be here with you. As Matt said, this is, Haggai is not 
just light and easy stuff. It's not easy to get to either. It's, it's a smaller book of prophecy that happens after uh, the exiles. Some of the exiles return from Persia or from Babylon when they were taken away. It happens well after all of the Exodus pieces that happened with Moses and those big highlights of the Old Testament, big story of Israel. And it's about 500 years before Jesus comes. And within that, then, as we can see in some of our texts that just got read, I know it's easy to apply this stuff. When you're trying to get a few measures from the wine vat and you're not getting enough, of course, it's right here in Haggai. What's going on, right? That kind of thing. When blight strikes your crops, you all know, yeah, right, I've been there. Blight on my crops all day long. But, but the reality is, like, if we squeeze this, if we really look at it, we dig in, what we're finding is some amazing truths about who God is and who we are and who we are as his people and what God does for us and with us and how he is always present with us. And it's really quite beautiful and profound. And I'll do my best to unpack here. Uh, before we jump into our text of verses 10 through 19, let's do a quick recap of where we've been before. By the way, blight struck our printer this morning, and so I'm just preaching off my laptop. It was supposed to be printed on paper, but, you know, again, that blight that happens, even on printers, as you know. So, uh, Here's a quick recap of what Pastor Matt has been preaching through in the book of Haggai so far. Sermon 1 was about consider the nearness of God. The Lord desiring to be the central desire of his people, calling the people to rebuild the temple. And that, that is the overarching message of the book of Haggai. Hey, I'm, I'm stirring hearts that are in Babylon. You can go back now. You, Cyrus, their king, has freed you to go back to Jerusalem. And he stirs the hearts of only a remnant of people, 50,000, a fraction of the full amount of Israelites, stirs their hearts, and they go back. They, they head back to Jerusalem to rebuild. That's, that's what this is about. Haggai's a prophet reminding them, keep rebuilding the temple. That was your mission to begin with. Sermon 2, consider the nature of God, the Lord calling his people to obedience, fueled by power. They finally begin building. Sermon 3, Last week, consider the faithfulness of God. Our value in life is found ultimately in God's faithfulness. His people being reminded of who they are um, to him in the midst of discouragement during the building process. And then today, here we are, fourth part of five. Um, we're going to look at this 10 through 19. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to 10 through 19. But I, I want to do the same thing. Consider. What should we be considering today? What should we be thinking about today in this passage? It's consider our practice of faithfulness. And it fits well, I think, with last week's passage that we looked at God's faithfulness to his people. He says these beautiful things to his people, beautiful, powerful, true things. I am with you. Be strong. Fear not. Continue building. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. There's echoes of that and what we remember hearing from, from the book of Joshua and what he said to Joshua before they entered the promised land. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Be strong and courageous. It's God saying, I haven't left you, people. You are my people. I'm your father and you're my children and I love you and I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And that's his faithfulness to us. But we then are called to things. We're called to certain things to work out the faithfulness that God has for us. We work it out in practice in this world. We know the great commandments, love God and love neighbor. And in both of those, we are called as people, as Christians, to be faithful. And I think this passage speaks to that. Consider our practice of faithfulness, of wholehearted obedience, not just doing and not just sort of believing, if I have to quote that, but with full hearts, we do. We, we obey. And here we are, 
in, in, in Haggai chapter 2. Um, as we jump into this, I'm going to just pray really quickly again, and then we'll, we'll open up the actual text. So would you pray with me? Lord God, I uh, pray that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to, to grasp today your, your truth and your wisdom and your grace from this word you have given us. I pray that you would continue your work through your spirit in us and, and through us. God, continue to make us a people who are faithful to you. Jesus, continue to make us more and more and more like you. It's only by your help, by your hand, by your power, by your grace that we can do any of this, Lord. pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, would you open up with me? Haggai 2, starting at chapter 10. As we, as we march into, into this verse, well, actually, let me read it quickly, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk more about it. On the 24th day of the month, this is verse 10, of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. So, that's a harsh word. Whatever they do, whatever they offer in their sacrifices, but whatever they do, it's defiled. Not, not a thing that you really want to be called. You're a defiled person. Everything you do is defiled. That's not what we're looking for in our lives, in our Christian lives. It's not a great encouragement. Thank you, brother. It's not that, right? You're defiled. It's a wake-up call. It's sobering. What's going on here? But it's especially sobering because if we back up a little bit to the, the verses just before this that Pastor Matt preached last week, 2, 1 through 9, about these beautiful truths. I am with you. Do not fear. Be strong. Continue your mission. And my spirit is among you. It's amazing. And it ends with uh, verse 9 that says, And in this place, declares the Lord, I will grant peace. Now, uh, if, if I were um, a Hollywood producer and this were a movie, and hey, guys, like, hey, I got a script for you guys, and, and I said, okay, let's go through this, da, 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 da. great, 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 okay. And in this place I will grant peace, lovely. That's great, hey, guy, good writing, that's a wrap, right? That's good, that's the end right there. <laughs> and then hey, guys, like, oh, just a second, one second. Um, I got a couple more things to say. I'm like, oh, and he's like, yeah, I would just like to bring up how everything they do is also defiled. And the producer's like, ah, people like happy endings. And Haggai's like, I'm a prophet to the people of Israel. Happy endings aren't really our thing. <laughs> That's not what we do. We're, we're, we're prophets. We, we, we tell the truth. It's not happy endings, really, with the prophets to Israel most of the time, right? But, so, so it's odd, then. We end there, and in this place, I'll grant peace. It feels, it really does legitimately feel like that's a good ending for this book. But then, two months later, in the timeline here, it's a four-month timeline, about four or five messages within a four-month timeline, God comes back to Haggai and says, there's more things to say to this people. Remember, there's more things to say to this people because I love them, 
because I am their father, because I want good for my children. That's who God is to us, and that's what he says to us. There's more things for them. And so then he says this stuff on, and he launches into this discourse with the priests, answering the, asking them questions, and they answer. And then finally, everything that you do is defiled. Everything you offer is defiled. And, and I think what's happening here is, is that Israel had resumed their building of the temple. That was, again, the initial mission. But there was something missing. It was their heart. God said to them, listen, your heart's not in it. Your heart's not in it. Because God wants his people completely. Not just part of us. Not just our heads. Not just our heart or our emotions or any of that piece. Or not just our hands of stuff to do to get stuff done in the world. God wants all of us. Every single one of us. All of us. Completely and holy. And he knows that the closer we are to him the better things are for us. That's what, that's, what a, that's what a father, that's what a good parent does. They want the best for the children, and they know better than children know. If, if it were up to my kids, I have a couple little guys who are very energetic. They would, they would be throwing knives at each other most of the time. You know, like, yeah, this seems fun. Let's do this. But, but I know better. No, you're not going to throw knives today. Sorry, guys. Um, we'll settle with just throwing, I don't know, Legos at each other, I guess. Even that is uh, hard to stop. But... The idea is that we, we like to do what we like to do, but we don't know the best for ourselves, and we don't know the goodness for ourselves, and God knows he is the ultimate good of over, over everything. He's a source of all goodness and peace and joy, and so the closer we are to God, the better we are as individuals and as a people, right? That's a truth that God wants to bring them back, but he has to tell them the truth first. You gotta wake up. You gotta wake up. Things are wrong even though you're close, the work of your hands, you're rebuilding this temple as you were called to do. There's something else going on here. There's a problem here. And he brings up this idea of consecrated meat, of holiness. What is, what is that about? Well, we don't have time to get into all of that. If you want to get into cleanliness, cleanness and uncleanness, that kind of uh, ritual righteousness, you can go read the book of Leviticus, and it talks a lot about that. And that, that maybe sounds like a joke, but it's not a joke, actually. It's, it's, I think it's an amazing book. It's really fascinating. Now, I don't fully get everything in there, but that's what really outlines all these rules, all these, outline, all these pieces of God saying, my presence among you is good. But a little bit how C.S. Lewis talked about Aslan the lion, when Lucy, I think it was Lucy, asks Mr. Beaver, Aslan, he's a lion, before they met him. Is it, is it safe? Is it safe to meet a lion? And Mr. Beaver says, oh, he's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe, but he's good. And that's our God, and that's God's presence and his holiness. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it, but it's good. It's good that it's among the people. So God gives these rules and these outlines for holiness, for consecrated pieces in the temple, so that his holiness can be a blessing to the people and people don't get consumed with fire. That's another fun story there. You can go, go find about that in Leviticus, about the cons- people, uh, two of Aaron's sons, uh, breaking the rules, and it goes badly for them, let's say. So we, we see here that this is what's going on in that there is this, this story about consecrated meat, about holiness, about holiness doesn't transfer to other things, but corruption does transfer, right? If you were to take... Uh, when we understand this, this is a world in which we live. It, it, in our world that is affected by sin, there's this concept called entropy. Things move from, from cleanness to decay. 
That's why when you leave food out of the fridge overnight, oops, it goes bad, and you probably don't want to eat that barbecue beef after a little while. It's not going to go well for you, right? That's entropy. That's a moment of it. If you have an amazing pure glass of water, and it's so it's cold and it's refreshing, it's 20,000-year-old glacial water, whatever, and you paid $10 for it, and you put a tiny drop of poison in it, are any of you here going to be like, yeah, it, it was only a tiny drop of poison. I'm good. That water's so pure. Just a little bit of poison. No, that's not how it works. The poison taints. Corruption is contagious. It moves in our world. Sin moves outward. So the things here, they can be touched. That they, they, they corrupt things like a dead body, it says. Yes, it corrupts everything. The holiness doesn't move. Now, it's important to call out something here. It's a, it's a gospel turn. It's, a little bit, it's flipping the script or what some, some, some call the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. When Jesus comes along later in Matthew 8, he meets a leper who is sick. Leprosy didn't have a cure back then. It was absolutely debilitating for your entire life, if, if not, if not um, a death sentence for you eventually, and you were outcast, and no one wanted to touch lepers. It was a contagious skin disease. But Jesus meets a leper in Matthew 8, and the leper calls out to him, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Clean right? Cleanliness. And Jesus looks at him, some, some, say, some, some versions of the gospel say with compassion, he says, I will be clean. And bam, that leper is healed. Because Jesus' power is changing everything. It's flipping the script. It's cleaning what was dirty. His holiness is so powerful that it's contagious. When Jesus touches you, everything changes. It spreads to you, his goodness, his joy, his peace, his holiness. It spreads to us, not the opposite. He flips it around. It's a beautiful fulfillment of what this is showing us a picture of, a broken, sinful world that must be reversed in Haggai in the temple by these practices, by these strict ritual practices. But eventually, about 2,500 years later, or sorry, 500 years after Haggai, um, Jesus comes along and says, no, I'm flipping the script. My holiness will be contagious to the people that I touch. I will clean people. I will, I will wash them in the blood of Jesus as we sing, right? And I will save them and make them righteous. So that's, that's a, this little mini picture of what's happening, what's going to come along soon from that, that first passage. Um, I think I want to take a moment here too to sort of jump into two major pieces that are, that are in this passage of, of 10 through 19, two major themes I'll use my, my clicker here. I've got to find it. So here's, I think, the overall message of what 10 through 19 is saying, at least one of the things it's saying to us. God is faithful. We practice faithfulness, wholehearted obedience, right? And faithfulness consists of these pieces, dependence, repentance, and obedience. Our heart must be engaged in all of these, but also when our heart's engaged, our mind has to be engaged as well. And our actions have to be engaged. As a whole person, we come to God. We are fully dependent on him. We repent of our sins. One theologian, Martin Luther, said in his 95 Theses, caused a bit of a stir back in the day, 1517, posted in the wall, first one, Theses, Thesis 1, the Christian life is a life of continual repentance. We repent of our sins. We turn from those ways. We ask God to help us from that. And then obedience, 
when our hearts are changed, when our souls are cleansed, when our minds are renewed, as it says in the book of Romans, we act in obedience. But, and sometimes maybe not even in all those orders. Sometimes we act because we know it's the right thing to do, and we ask God to fill our hearts with joy in that action. So this is what faithfulness is, and I think this is what we are called to do, what the people of God were called to do. You, you left Babylon with hearts that were stirred. Ezra 1 says God stirred the hearts of some, and they left, and they came back to Jerusalem, of 50,000 about. But something's happened. They ran into trouble. It's been about 18, 17, 18 years since they started rebuilding the temple, their original mission. And a guy comes to them and says, yo, you got to wake up. Your original mission is getting, is getting sullied, is getting lost in the fog and the haze of your own lives. And they do. They wake up and they start rebuilding again. And God says, I'll bless that. So then one way, one major way, we say, well, that's a lot to think. But really, in, in our faithfulness, the prescription, the simple prescription is follow Jesus, follow Christ. He was perfectly faithful in all things. So as we, as we move into that, faithfulness is one of our major pieces. There's another piece, I think, here that I, I want to take a moment to dwell on with you. And it's, I'm going I'm to kind of jump us into now, 2020s. So there's this word, malaise. And maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, maybe you use it. Maybe it sounds like a nerdy word. But malaise is an interesting word. It means this, a general feeling of discomfort, illness, or uneasiness whose exact cause is difficult to identify, a vague sense of mental or moral ill-being. Yeah, you know, you could also say apathy or the doldrums or listlessness or exhaustion. Now, the reason I bring this up is because it's been a hard couple of years. I mean, right, it... We, we've just, we're, we're, through, we're going through a pandemic. We're still in these kind of, at least last gasp, maybe, of the pandemic and its effects. I'm not asking for opinions about what you think of the pandemic, what you think of vaccines. The point is, no one here has not been affected by all that's happened, right? We live in this country, America, and it's such a blessing in so many ways. One of the most influential and powerful countries in the world, and we have been for how long? I don't know, 100 years, we're used to that, all of us who grew up and were born here in the U.S. It's a blessing, but also sometimes makes me think, what are the things we breathe in our country? What's the air we breathe culturally that we may not even think about? Is it, is it, I want us to think about this question. What's it like to be a Christian in 2022 in America? What's, think, think of all that's gone on in the last Five, ten years. Racial injustice and all of the talk about that. All the tension around that. The pandemic, of course, these things, all these things that happen, so much tension and polarization. You, you bring up the wrong thing to the wrong person and you're in like a fist fight, right? That's what it feels like almost. It's tense. How about politics? Right? <laughs> Like, do you guys feel that? I want us to take a moment and just take a deep breath and think, how, how's my heart doing as someone who wants to be a follower of Jesus in this country in 2022? I'm not going to give you answers about all those things or opinions about all those things. I just want us to rest for a moment, to think for a moment, to dwell. How's my heart doing? Do I feel wholehearted? Do I feel complete? Do I feel like I know even where faithfulness, look, what it looks like and where it goes for me 
as an individual or for us as a people. And I think that's, this word malaise hits that pretty well. In fact, I would, I would call it spiritual malaise. I mean, I feel it, all right, if I can be vulnerable and just say it. Like, I, I felt it for a couple of years. So a lot of stuff that's come out about the church, even the church that says we believe in Jesus, we believe in the Bible, and a lot of junk has been exposed about abuse and abuse of power and all kinds of things. And it, it hit me a while, uh, maybe a year or so ago, and my wife are talk, and I are talking about it, and I'm talking about it with people here at Elmwood. I, I just feel exhausted. I feel tired. Not just physically tired. I feel like spiritually a little worn out. I feel like malaise. Like I'm not, I just don't feel like I have a lot of energy, spiritual energy. Not all of you may be there, and that's okay. I bet some of you have been there before, or you might be there in the future, and some of you are there with me right now and trying to work this out. So faithfulness is this major theme, and then this spiritual malaise that hits us, that slows us down. By the way, uh, Malays even uh, has this, I found a little character. I didn't draw this guy, but I found him on the internet. You know, hey, lots of fun things available on the internet, and, and uh, I Googled the image of Malays, and here's this some little character that some company had made, and uh, it says, ears, antennae for sucking motivation, eyes, bored, hypnotic eyes, legs, doesn't need feet, she moves like a slug. Right? Malays. Complacency, laziness sucks the energy out of you, sucks the motivation out of you. I'm not talking about a crisis of, do I even believe in Jesus anymore, though that's serious. But I don't think that's here, because the people are still there, and God says to them, when you go to that vat, you look for 50 measures and you only find 20. Or you go to uh, the grain and you look for 20 and you only find 10. So they're not starving, they're not being driven back to exile, there's not a catastrophic proportion of destruction to their people like has happened before to them. But they've kind of just settled. They're building nice houses for themselves. They're just kind of in the groove. They're trying to find prosperity on their own. And that's where this comes in. And Haggai says, hey, you need to wake up. You'll never find true prosperity. You'll never find, find the true abundance and peace that you're looking for apart from God. Never. And so I think, I think we're here. Some, a lot of us can be here. And then I think, well, it's a unique time. It's been a tough couple of years. We all know that. We all feel that. And then, um, well, by the way, here's a definition of faithfulness. I think it's pretty great. Concept of unfailingly remaining loyal to someone or something and putting that loyalty into consistent practice, regardless of circumstances. Consistent practice is what faithfulness is. So then I found this, though, too. From 1835, this guy from France comes over to America. He looks at what's happening. He wants to study our democracy. We were a young country back then. People were fascinated by it. France had been talking about democracy longer than the U.S. And so he says this. Alexis de Tocqueville says, In America I saw the freest and most enlightened men placed in the happiest condition that exists in the world. And it seemed to me that a sort of cloud habitually covered their features. They appeared to me Grave and almost sad even in their pleasures. There is a strange melancholy that haunts inhabitants. In the midst of abundance, the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. Wow, that's, that's profound for a Frenchman. No, it's a joke. No, I don't, nothing, against, nothing against France. But it is profound, isn't it? The incomplete joys will never... This is not a Christian theologian, guys. This is like a political philosopher. 
I don't know what he, I don't think he was a big fan of Jesus, to be honest. But he saw something. And he saw something in America, like almost 200 years ago, that I still feel today. And maybe some of you feel this too. We are wealthy. We have a lot of luxury. There's a lot of things around us, the pursuit of those things, of material things. And yet it feels like on the indexes of when they ask about happiness and peace, we're still really low among first world countries, even among other countries. It's that malaise. Maybe it's been here for a long time. Now, the good news for us is that we're not first Americans. We're not first Americans. This isn't our first citizenship. Our first citizenship is in heaven with Jesus, our king. We are people under a king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who loves us and who cares for us and who says, I will never leave you. Fear not. Be strong. Do what I have called you to do. So I I think there is that amazing encouragement that can help fight this malaise. In the second part of this, I just want to read this. Then, starting in 15, now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid upon another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, with mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left yet left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. And he ends this section with this phrase, this amazing phrase. I struck you with blight to get your attention. Like again, my kids, right? They're throwing knives. Roman, my six-year-old, I say, Roman, don't throw knives. He's like, okay. And I say, Roman, parents know this, right? That what you do, look at me. Look at me. And they look at you so you know they have your attention or you have their attention and you say to them something that's very important and serious. Look at me. Don't throw knives at your brother. Or here, right, God says, hey, I want to get your attention. Even when I tried to get your attention, you did not return to me. But finally then Haggai comes along, gives them a reminder, and they get it. Okay, for the abundance and blessing that we desire, we need to put God first always. That's how our lives ought to be ordered. And then he says, though, this amazing phrase, from this day on, I will bless you. I will bless you from this day on. God taking initiative, he made a covenant with them to be faithful. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be the one who will go through death so that you don't have to go through the death, the wages of sin that you commit. I will be the one who wears the corruption that you all commit, so you don't have to be the ones who suffer the punishment of that corruption. I will be the one who will be holy and give you my holiness. Even when you fail, I will, I will transfer it to you. I will cover you over with my goodness and my grace and my holiness, so that when God the Father looks on us, he sees a perfect and beautiful picture of his son, Jesus. And we get that. We get that. That is the good news of the gospel, that we are justified before God, not because of stuff we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And then, faithfulness. We're called to obedience. We're called to do 
not just to believe or not just to think, but to do as well, to be whole people. And Jesus says, I'll give you some help. The biggest help I could ever give, anyone could ever have, I'm gonna give you the spirit of God himself. And now, Jesus being the temple, the perfect temple, he lets us, he transfers to us the beauty of being a temple that can have God's dwelling in us. His spirit empowering us to do. I think that's, that's the good news of this, that, that God moves God's, his people in Haggai from, from defilement to dependence, from, from malaise to mission. Finish what you started. And he moves them from scarcity to fullness, the abundant life that Jesus talks about too. And he does that for us as well. He says that same thing to us. All of those promises, God, are yes in Jesus. I think one of, uh, one of the verses that Jesus talks about that so well articulates this is from, from Luke 8. It says, the seed, this is, this is the part of the soils, by the way, the parable of the soils. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. I think you could parentheses like distractions and, and uh, bills and emails and your phone always buzzing at you all the time. Choked out by that, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those, means for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. They hear it, their heart is changed, and they act, right? A picture of faithfulness, dependence on God, repentance of our sins, and obedience. Our heart and our mind are renewed, are changed, and out of that we act, we do obedience. We practice wholehearted faithfulness because God was faithful to us first. And then, you know, for, for this too, I guess I, I want to just bring us back down a little bit to the idea, to app, application. So, okay, so maybe I feel that malaise. Maybe you're with me a little bit on that and want to fight it. Maybe you don't feel it now or you will. Or maybe there's other things that God's just doing in your heart through this little ancient book of Haggai. How do we apply this? Like, what, what's one, what's, what's a way we can do this? Well, I, I think... I want to give you an, an incredibly simple application. Let's call it maybe uh, the one thing challenge if you want to, just for this week even. Uh, find some time for yourself when your day is starting, very minimal amount of time, a, a minute or two to clear some space, and ask God, God, what's one thing you want me to do today? What's one thing you have for me today? And do encompasses all kinds of things. God might say, come to me in prayer today. God might say, crack your, the word open and, and, and read these passages, dwell on that. God might say, you know, there's people at your workplace who are really struggling and suffering. Tell them that they're valuable. Tell them you appreciate them. Ask them out to lunch, whatever. And I, again, God might, it might be a little quiet right? But trust that God's going to give you something, a small step, a one thing to do every day that is building us 
towards more and more faithfulness, or maybe, maybe just renewing us a little bit out of that spiritual malaise. So that's the application. Um, even, even as we, we've seen this, uh, this importance of rebuilding the temple and what the temple means, it's the dwelling place of God's presence. The, the temple is like the, uh, the rib cage um, that holds the heart. The building itself is only as important as what's, what is housing, is the presence of God. God with his people, God dwelling with us, which is what he's always wanted from the very beginning of creation, to be with us in relationship and to bless us in that way. And so we get to come to the communion table in that way too. We get to have communion with God. We get to know that in Jesus, the true and better temple, there is, just like it was for the Israelites in their practices, it is now in Jesus we find forgiveness of sins. It is in Jesus we find reconciliation with Almighty God who's holy. We find in Jesus restoration of our relationship with God and his spirit dwelling within us. We can just talk to him without any massive mediation and ritual that has to happen beforehand. We just can talk to a holy God. In Jesus, we find our blessing and our empowerment and our guidance that says, here's your life. Here's what I've called you to. Go and do it. Go and practice faithfulness. Practice wholehearted obedience uh, in this world. That one thing, perhaps, is what sparks some of that, gets you out of that malaise, gets you out of whatever you feel stuck in sometimes. So we come to this communion table, and we, um, we see all of these beautiful things about Jesus. And um, as we do that, we're going to transition into communion. Let me, let me pray for us um, in, in this as we approach God. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by the things we have done and by the things we have left undone. We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. And we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are. And direct us, direct what we shall be. So that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.